Thank you, Jim. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning, uh, we are going to consider the 12-year-old in the temple. Um, stand with me, in fact, as we read. I'm just going to get right into the text this morning. Um, this is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Luke 2, we will begin reading in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Father, we pray that as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would have absolute certainty in who he is and what he has done, that it may impact the way we live our lives. Use your word in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have a 12-year-old in the temple. Um, this was not the first time Jesus was in the temple. Remember, last week we talked about him being dedicated um, when he was just over a month old, 40 days old in the temple. But Jesus, this was a regular thing. Luke tells us that in, in verse 41 that his parents went to Jerusalem every year. That went is in a tense that says it kept happening over and over and over again. This was, this was a regular thing for them. In fact, it should be a regular thing for them. In Deuteronomy, all the men were commanded to go to the temple every year to celebrate three different feasts. And one of them was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the way it worked, Passover was the first day of a feast. The rest of the days would be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Luke puts them all together and kind of in a colloquial way calls it the Feast of the Passover. And so it would have included Passover and and bread. So an eight-day span. They weren't required to be there all eight days, but they had to be there for the past a couple of other days. So, so they would have been there during that time. Maybe they would have left early, but maybe they would have stayed the whole week. Probably, I don't know which. It, Luke doesn't tell us. That's not important to Luke's story. But he tells us that every year they would go to Jerusalem for this feast. Remember what I said last week. Mary and Joseph were very careful to follow the law. They were very careful to make sure they were doing things the right way. They weren't going to go off on their own and do their own thing and approach God on their own terms. And boy, that could be a sermon in and of itself, couldn't it? Because that's what we like to do. But no, they knew that God set the rules 
And they were going to follow those rules to the best of their ability. So every year they went to Passover in Jerusalem. About a hundred mile journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Jerusalem's only a couple of miles north of Bethlehem. So, so you're talking close to a hundred mile journey to do this. So it would have taken them a couple of days to get there. But they did it every single year. And as they're doing it, in this particular trip, Luke says, there's something about this. There's something about this particular trip and what happened when Jesus was 12 that set it apart from all the rest. He could have told us how, how, how some of the other ones went. He could have told us about the first time that he was old enough to remember going to the temple. He could have told us maybe about times that someone had seen him before and look how much you've grown. I wonder if, if Simeon or Anna was still around to see how the boy was growing up year after year. He could have told us about all that, but there's something about this one in particular that sticks out to Luke. And I think I understand what it is. So this morning, I, I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I've often heard this story preached about how, how Mary and Joseph forgot Jesus. And oh, how can you forget Jesus? You know, and all those kinds of things. And they draw those applications from it. And that, that's all well and good. But that's not Luke's point. Luke wants us to fix our eyes on Christ. Let's see what we look at when we zoom in our camera lens, when we focus in on Jesus. What does it show us? I find four things that Jesus does in this passage that help us to understand why Luke tells this particular story and what we can learn about Jesus Christ as we focus in on him. The first is that Jesus chooses the Father's presence. Jesus chooses the Father's presence. I used to think that he was left by accident. Now that I have four kids, I can understand how parents could leave a kid uh, behind. I, I can understand that. And sometimes I kind of want to do that myself. But that's not what's going on here. Sometimes we, we kind of think, we approach this passage as though Mary and Joseph leave and they don't, I, I thought you had Jesus. Well, I thought you had Jesus. Well, is Jesus with y'all? No, we thought you had Jesus. And before you know it, Jesus is just not there anymore. You've, you've gone up and left him. But I don't think that's what happens. Look at 43. Let me show you what I mean. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Stayed behind is active tense. Now, in verbs, active means you're doing it. The subject is doing the verb. It's not being done to him. It's not passive where they're receiving the action. He's actually doing the action. He's staying behind. Now that to me says that's intentional. He meant to stay. I think Christ is actually staying on purpose. Some scholars think maybe it's just that he was still there and didn't realize that they had left. I think Jesus is choosing to stay. And as we get in, I, I think you'll see why. But he stayed behind. He ignored maybe the call. Make sure you meet us back here so we can all leave together. It's the last day. Surely Jesus is with somebody. But no, he stays. The Bible says that he stayed. And in verse 46, we actually see where he stayed. He stayed in the temple. They come to the temple and there he is. The temple was the place where God was. It was the place where God's presence we felt. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was held. That's where God would come down on the Day of Atonement to receive the sacrifices for the people's sins. It's the place where you go to be with God. 
we kind of think of sanctuaries like that today, but picture like a super sanctuary where like there was one in the whole country and you get a little bit of a picture of what we're talking about here. This was the place of God. I, I wonder how different, I wonder how different, um, we would be if we chose the Father's presence more. We get so lost in everything. So many different things to do. We got places to go. We got people to see. We've got things to do. We crowd up our schedules as if, as if we're going to get some sort of benefit out of driving ourselves nuts to try to do all the things that we're supposed to do. I wonder if we just stopped and stayed in God's presence, how different we would be. I think back, there's this, uh, in the time of Moses, there's this tent outside the camp. It's called the tent of meeting. Moses would go there and God would descend down and he would talk with God. God would talk with him. Maybe it was to get advice on a difficult situation. Maybe it was just Moses needs a break because let's face it, uh, if the Israelites treated you the way they treated Moses, you, you would need a break too. It happens. Maybe he just needed time with God. But from time to time, he would go to the tent of meeting. God would meet him there. Exodus thirty three eleven describes the scene. Thus the Lord would used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, watch this. Moses would leave and go to the camp. I think, go back a verse. His assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses meets with God, talks with God, goes on his way. Joshua stays behind. You know what the Bible does not say? It doesn't say God left either. I wonder how much of Joshua's character, I wonder how much of that commander that they that he would need to be in order to conquer the promised land, to follow in Moses' footsteps, to have the same sort of leadership ability that Moses had God said, I will be with you like I was with Moses and I, I am going to use you to give the land to this people. Only be strong and courageous. Just, just be strong. Be courageous. Don't shy away because I'm with you and I'm going to make sure you're successful. I wonder how much of the character that would be needed for that strong and courageous leader came from meetings in the tent when Moses had already left and it was just Joshua and God. The next chapter, Exodus 34. Speaking of Moses, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. You know what the people say? You got to cover your face because it's too bright. I can see it in your face that you've been with God. And it scared the people because they were afraid that God's presence was so strong that they couldn't stand before him in their sin. I wonder if we linger in God's presence a little while, how it might change us, how it might convict us, how it might change our hearts toward him, how it might focus our eyes on the things that matter instead of the things that don't. I wonder if we would just linger in God's presence for a few minutes, if we would just, if we would just stay there a little longer, if we would just ignore the pressing needs of the day. Now, I'm not telling you don't eat or don't sleep. Or don't work to get money so you can't eat and have somewhere to sleep. But I'm telling you all these things that we think are so important, that we think that matter so much, if we just got rid of all the junk and we stayed in God's presence, 
And I'm not just talking about in the temple, in the sanctuary. I mean if we communicate with Him, whether it's in your easy chair, or whether it's with knee bowed at an altar, or whether it's wherever you happen to be, dashboards make great places to meet with God. Kitchen tables make great places to meet with God. Supermarket lines make great places to meet with God. You better meet with God if you go to certain supermarkets because <laughs> some of the folks just need God more than, more than we like to admit. Oh, that we would bask in the presence of the Father. Maybe then our hearts would be moved as were the sons of Korah who wrote in Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praises. Selah. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather just open the door for people. I would rather be a lowly servant in your house than be the master of a wicked house. Oh, if I could just be with you, God. Jesus chose the Father's presence, and we should too. Jesus also knows the Father's Word. You really want to be in His presence. One, one key way is through His Word. Look in, look in, um, they're, they're, they realize Jesus is lost and they're, they're looking for Him and they can't find Him. And they, they've already gone a journey about 20, 25 miles away from Jerusalem by the time they realize it. So what would happen is a whole big group would travel together. And so you'd have extended family. And so they thought, He's 12. We don't have to keep an eye on Him every minute of the day. He's old enough to care for Himself, kind of. Not quite old enough. Well, well, I'll get into that for a minute, in a minute. But, but he's old enough that he's somewhere in the group. And so, so they go. There's all these people going, all these folks from Nazareth going. You get a whole big, big, uh, couple buses full. Maybe he's on another bus or something. So they're all walking. At nightfall, when they, when they got somewhere to rest and, and, um, settle down for the night, they would get back together as families and they couldn't find Jesus. Where's Jesus? I don't know. Where's Jesus? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. They went through all that. They realized they got to go back to Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem. Now it took them a day to get where they were. It's going to take them another day to get back. And they're searching frantically in Jerusalem, but it's probably dark by the time they get there, close to dark. They can't find them anywhere. They're looking at the hotel they stayed in. They're looking at the restaurants they ate at, you know, wherever they happened to be. They were looking all over the place. No, there were no... There were no McDonald's or, or Holiday Inns or anything like that. Don't, but you get what I'm saying. They're looking everywhere. They're trying to find him. They can't find him. Third day comes. They look at the temple. There he is. They find him. And after three days, they found him in the temple. Verse 46, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Let me, let me take you back into the style of the day. In that day, you don't teach by just telling someone. It's not like a teacher in a classroom telling you, okay, this is what a, this is what a verb is. A verb is, is the word that does the action in the sentence. So let's all look in some sentences and let's find the verbs. Okay. So here's a sentence. What's the verb? All right. That, that's good. Yes. That's right. No, no, that's not right. 
you know, back and forth. You know, it's not quite like that. It's not where someone knows is telling you what they know and you have to learn what they know. It's not like math class where they give you, um, they, they introduce some kind of concept and they, they show you how it works and then they, then they give you a practice problem that's never really as hard as the, the test problem is. You know, they just give you something easy to make you think you can do it. And, <laughs> and then you get into homework and you got, get harder problems and that sort of thing. It's not like that. The way they would teach is they would ask a question. They get in a group and they might throw a question out there. And students would try to answer the question. And they'd never, almost never get it right the first time. So they'd ask another question. They'd ask it a little bit different. They'd ask and ask and ask. And they would ask more probing questions and deeper questions and questions that lead lead the students. And sometimes the students would not understand things and they would ask other questions, side questions, corollary questions, questions to try to get at it. What about this? What about that? You know, they'd go back and forth and eventually the student would learn. Because after asking all these questions and, and, and being face to face with all these things, they would finally understand what the rabbi is trying to get them to understand. But it was done through questions. It wasn't just a, a simple, I'm going to tell you what I know. It's, I'm going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, and I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to help you come to find out yourself. Jesus is sitting along with these teachers, and other folks are sitting too. This would have been a big group of people. It wouldn't have been just Jesus and a bunch of teachers. But he would have been sitting there, and they would have been asking questions, and he would have been trying to answer them and asking questions. And as he's doing it, these teachers start to realize, this kid's got it. He really knows what he's talking about. Not only is he giving them good answers to their questions, he's asking them probing questions that show that he knows exactly what they're getting at. And it, I wonder if he stumped them. I wonder if he asked questions to them and they didn't quite know the answers to them. And there was this back and forth and this, this, this kind of give and take. It says, all who heard him, verse 47, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The reason it's so amazing is because he's 12. I mean, you expect a full-grown adult. Even in that day, a 13-year-old would have been considered an adult. He's below that threshold, and he seems to be wise beyond his years. And it, it kind of came as a challenge to me because when I was 12, I sure wasn't amazing people with my understanding. Oh, I was a smart kid. Don't get me wrong. I could tell you all kinds of facts. I could tell you what the letters DNA stood for, and I could tell you all the books of the Bible in order, and I could tell you all kinds of trivia. I should have been on Teen Jeopardy. But I had become a master of the minuscule. Oh, I knew all the little stuff that didn't really matter. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to, sometimes we tend to become so, so proficient in the things that are peripheral, the things that don't matter, the things that are secondary. The things that, that aren't central, that aren't core, that aren't the basic things that we need. We become majors in the minors, right? That's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on the things that don't matter and we miss the big things. We miss the most important things. And here we have Jesus Christ setting an example as a 12-year-old boy who's already more proficient in the Scriptures than people that are older than him. Because he majored in the major thing. 
Because he focused on the thing that was most important. He doesn't worry about the things that don't matter. He knows and studies and learns God's Word and becomes wise. How do I know that? I know it because Luke tells us twice. Verse verse 40. Look back at verse 40. Luke 2 verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. And then a little bit later, 52, he's going to say the same thing. That he grew, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He's growing wise. He's not just smart. He doesn't just know the things. He doesn't just have the trivial knowledge that that I had when I was 12 or that many other people have. He doesn't just know the facts. He knows how to use what he knows to be wise and to be righteous before God. That's why God's favor is on him. Now, he he is God, so he kind of has a leg up. But man, what an example to follow. Just because someone's standing on the shore with a life preserver on the end of a rope throwing it to you doesn't mean you should reject his help. You're drowning, grab the life preserver. I want him to have every advantage that he possibly can have if he's saving me, right? Jesus Christ sets the example for us. He majors on the major things. He knows God's word. And he's not just knowing it with his head. He's knowing it with his heart. He's knowing it with his life. He's living it out. Even at 12, we can see it. How well do you know God's Word? Are you too busy being proficient in the peripheral, majoring in the minor? How well do you know His Word? You know, you linger in His presence for a while. You get that book out, that Bible, and you read, and you pray, and you study, and you let God speak to you. It really will change your life. I don't just say that on Sunday mornings because it's it's a tradition. I don't just say it because... Um, I have to say it or I'll forget to read the scripture. It's No, I say it because it's true. And I need that constant reminder, and I know all of us do, to keep the main thing the main thing. How well do you know God's word? Third thing that I see about Jesus is going to fly directly in the face of some scholars. That's okay. They're wrong. <sighs> you don't hear me say very often that scholars are wrong. I'll say scholars disagree. I, I'm not so sure about what it, yeah, these scholars are wrong. They say that Jesus didn't know that he was God's son, that Jesus knew that he was sent by God, that Jesus knew that that he was part of God's plan, but that he didn't know he was God's son, that other Christians later on kind of added that in and made him divine when he never really understood that about himself. That's just plain wrong. And this text shows us that it's wrong because Jesus is the father's son. And that's the third thing we see in the passage. Look in verses 48 and 49. When the parents saw him, when his parents saw him, Luke's not denying that he was born of the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that Joseph was his real father. Um, he's, he's just calling them parents because they are his parents. You don't have to give birth to a kid to be a parent of a child. Sometimes people step up. I'll give you an example. Joe Northington raised his grandson. Sometimes a parent steps up. A person steps up and becomes a parent by the, by the way that they raise their children. Joseph was just as much of a father of Jesus as any of the other kids that they had because Joseph was there and he played a role. But that's a whole other sermon too, isn't it? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. They couldn't believe their eyes and their ears. Jesus has that effect on people, by the way. And his mother said to him, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Dad wouldn't have said that. Dad would have just said, go here. (laughs) 
Let's go. Mama's freaking out because she can't find her baby. Mama's, you want to vouch for that? She says, why have you treated us so? Why have you done this to us? Did you, you, just, you could have gotten hurt. Something bad could have happened to you. What are, what are you doing? I've been worried sick about you. And Jesus, this isn't a rebuke, by the way. This isn't Jesus rebuking them. I think he's honestly wondering. Listen to what he says. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? The implication is, how did you not know where I was? Look, look at the rest of it. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mary says, your father and I have been worried sick. He says, no, no, no. I'm with my father. He's not repudiating Mary and Joseph. He's not saying, shame on you. You're stopping God's work. He's not wagging his finger at them. He honestly wonders, how do you not know? This is why I'm here. Jesus knew his purpose. His purpose wasn't just to be a boy that would come to the temple every year until he was old enough to minister and then do some ministry. Jesus knew he's God's son in flesh. And he's here for a purpose. And part of the purpose, I honestly think, is he's trying to prepare the teachers of the law. He's trying to prepare the men that would eventually oppose him. He's trying to show them what God has said. He's trying to lay the groundwork so that when his ministry happens, it will be the most fruitful. Jesus is there doing prep work. He's the Father's Son. And he knows it. He says so. Didn't you know I must be in my Father's house? Didn't you know this is where I would be? Don't you remember what that angel said? That the Holy Spirit would come upon you and that you'd give birth to a son? Don't you remember I'm God's son? Don't, don't you remember that? Oh, it had been 12 years. And life had been normal. Jesus wasn't walking on bathwater. Jesus wasn't doing miracles with stuffed animals. He wasn't doing all kinds of crazy stuff. He looked like just a normal kid. And Mary had stored away the things. She had treasured them in her heart, what God had said through the angel. And he had, she had remembered the things that had happened on that night he was born. Those shepherds coming to bow before him and telling, him what, what, telling her what they had heard, what the angels had said. That was back in the back of her mind. She remembered bringing him to the temple and listening to Simeon and Anna talk about how this child would be how great this child would be. But that was all on the back burner, and that was all 12 years ago. Now, she's just, this is her baby. Maybe she had forgotten, but he's God's son. I honestly think, I don't think this is Jesus getting on to her. I think this is just Jesus reminding her, look, I'm here for a reason. I have to do my father's work. And right now, that father's work is in my father's house. Last thing. By the way, are you? can you say with certainty, that you're one of God's children too. He knows he's God's son. No doubt about it in his mind. Do you have that same certainty? Are you a child of God? Jesus chooses the Father's presence. He knows the Father's word. He is the Father's son. He does the Father's will. This is one of the most remarkable things. They don't get it. He didn't understand. Verse 51 though. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Down because even though Jerusalem was to the south of Nazareth, it was much higher. Jerusalem is up on the mountains. And the temple is up on the highest part in Jerusalem. And so anywhere you go from there is down. And so he went down, even though they were going north. He went down in elevation, down to Nazareth. And was submissive to them. 
one of the things that Jesus teaches me is submission. And Jesus knows that part of God's will is for him to be submissive to mom and dad. Even if Joseph wasn't his physical father, he was still submissive. He knew his role right now was not to overrun them, but to sit in subjection. Were they the best parents ever? Probably not. Did they mess up? Yeah, probably. That didn't matter. He still chose to submit. He still chose to let them be the parents. It says, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. He's starting to get a lot of stuff in there. I wonder how long it took her for all these things to begin to make sense, for her to really see the big picture. Maybe she saw it in glimpses here and there, but she's storing up all these things. She's keeping them away because one day, one day they're going to have their impact. And then verse 52, not only did he submit to God's will in obeying his parents, he submitted to God's will in growing. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I wonder, I wonder what great things would be in store for this Jesus. Now, I already know some of them. Um, I've already I've already read uh, the the revelation where Jesus wins. I've already read where he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. I've already read where he is God's son. But I just wonder how every day God built him into the man that he was to be. And I look at my boys and my girl, and I see what God is doing in them. And I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen with them. I wonder how God's going to use them. Jesus had this way of challenging. And I think he comes in John chapter 6 to really the heart of the matter. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him. And then in verse 40, he says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's will that you look at Jesus and you believe. Are you willing to submit to God's will? Are you willing to submit to his will, or are you still insistent that you do it your own way? Remember what I said at the beginning. You don't come to God on your own terms. God sets the rules. And he has said, there's only one way. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. So are you willing to give up your own will and surrender to him? We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And as we do, I'm going to give you a chance to submit to God's will. Let me pray for you, and then we'll sing. Father, May we commit everything to you. We surrender our hearts, our lives, our wills to you. Lord, whether that's, whether that's for the first time or whether we just have the problem of keeping, keeping on trying to do things our own way. Maybe we just keep leaning on our own understanding and forget the fact that you guide us through your word. Maybe we forget Jesus, that he is your son and that he is the way, the truth and the life. Maybe maybe we just stay too busy and we just neglect you. We neglect being in your presence. We neglect hearing from you. We neglect you. And, and, and then we wonder why we have no power and, and our lives are meaningless. Father, maybe we're not your sons because we've never come by your son. Whatever the case is, remove the barriers. Help us submit to you. This is your time, Lord. You move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.